Well, good morning, church family. My name is Rob, and I am a pastor here. It is good to see you this morning. If you're new with us, you've caught us uh, in our summer series on the Psalms. We're about six weeks in. And every now and then when I'm studying the Psalms, there's a video that I like to watch. Uh, If you Google Bono, as in the lead singer of U2, Bono Eugene Peterson, as in the translator of the message, pastor, seminary professor, if you uh, Google Bono Eugene Peterson and the Psalms, you'll find this video. And it's just a fascinating conversation between a rock star and a seminary professor on the Psalms. Uh, There's one line that I remember that Eugene Peterson says. He says, um, the Psalms say things that all of us feel but few of us will say. The Psalms say things all of us feel, but few of us will say. Bono, when he's talking about the Psalms, uh, he remarks about often the dishonesty in art, and even in Christian art. And he actually talks about a song that he writes called Raised by Wolves, which was about a bombing that happened in Ireland when he was young. 33 people died. And the only reason his life was spared is because he went home a different way. And to express some of the pain and confusion of growing up in an environment where bombs are going off, and he's actually seeing people who claim to be Christians killing each other, Protestants and Christians, he turns to song to try to express the anguish that he sees. The Psalms speak to things that all of us feel, but few of us We'll say, we're going to look at Psalm 61 this morning. You can turn there in your Bibles, on your Bible apps. It will be on the screen for us. Let's look now at God's Word. It says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Mighty and merciful Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Through your spirit, by your word, reveal Christ to us. May we see him as our refuge and strength and hope. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, summer is a time of journeys. I'm well aware that some of you kids took a journey to space this week, all right, in our vacation Bible school. I hope you had a good time in vacation Bible school. Huge shout out and thanks to our children's director, Katie Engel, and a lot of you volunteers that made that happen, so thank you for that. I know our volunteers definitely felt like they made a journey to space, as exhausting it is to do that week. Journey, summer's a time of journeys. I've spoken this morning already to people who have made a journey to Wisconsin, some who have made a journey to um, Hilton Head or are making one there, some who have journeyed to our area because they just moved here this week. Um, a time of journeys. I like stories about journeys. Like I'm just captivated by stories of journeys. Uh, if you're looking for a summer read, I recently went through it again. A Light in August by William uh, Faulkner. I love Southern authors. That's a journey uh, of a pregnant woman named Lena Grove. 
and she is looking for the father of her child. We are a people that journeys resonate with us, journeys speak to us. I ran across another book by uh, Andrew Del Banco. He's a professor of American studies up at Columbia University. And he wrote this book called The Real American Dream. And he talks about we humans have these tendencies where we have these needs to take the experiences in our lives and the individual things that go on and try to connect them and build a story out of them. And he says, when that story seems like it's going somewhere, it brings us hope. It's almost as if we're hardwired for journeys of hope. And this morning, Psalm 61 speaks to this journey. And in some ways, it speaks to the journey of prayer. In some ways, it speaks to even more the journey of the Christian life. And maybe you're here this morning and you're still investigating Christ and Christianity. Maybe you're one of our teenagers and you're here and you're like, yeah, I'm not really sure what I believe about all of this. Well, you're on a journey too. The question is, the direction you're going, is it leading to what you long for? And so as we look at Psalm 61, we're going to look at the starting point for this journey. We're going to look at the destination and the difference that it makes. The starting point, the destination, and the difference that it makes. This is written by David, opening line, the starting point. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you, my heart is faint. All right. Um, Notice where he is and what's going on. David, King David says, from the end of the earth, I call to you. We're not told like what the specific circumstances, the title, the editorial title doesn't let us know what's going on in David's life. Could have happened at any number of times. Um, the end of the earth, it means he's, he's removed from Jerusalem. He's far away from his home. It could be that time when he was in exile because his son rebelled against him and tried to overtake his reign. And so he had to leave the city. Maybe that's when he's writing this. He's a leader. He's a king. Maybe he's just leading his troops out on battle. He's away from the city. Whatever it is, he is isolated. He's lonely. His circumstances are not what he would long for them to be. And so that's what's led him to cry out to God. Notice also what's going on inside of him. If that's the outward circumstances, he says, my heart is faint. And I like the way another trans, uh, translation uh, actually renders this. The, the New King James uh, renders the Hebrew this way. If our ESV puts my heart is faint, the New King James says, when my heart is overwhelmed. You know why I like that? It's because that's, I think, the way that we talk. Like none of you came home this week after maybe you had to go to a, a toxic work environment and you said to your friend or your spouse, when you got home, you're like, oh, man, my, my heart is faint right? Like teenagers, like if you're like trying to navigate the chaos of, uh, you know, school and friends and everything, none of you have ever texted, yeah, my heart is faint right now, all right? We don't talk that way. But we do speak of being overwhelmed. We do, we do speak of despair. And so that's what's going on right now. And David, is he's saying, listen, my I am overwhelmed that the resources I have internally and what's going on externally, things are off the track. And so I am crying out to God. His starting point is that he wants to be heard by God. God, listen to me, hear me. What is your starting point when you become overwhelmed? All right, like when things on the inside aren't going well and things on the outside, like what's your starting point? Do you try to control things? Like do you tighten your grip maybe? 
Like that's your starting point. Okay, well, things aren't going well in here. I'm just going to try to control everything around me. Or maybe when you're overwhelmed, you there's some of us that just go to bed, right? Like I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to crawl in bed right now. What is your starting point when you are overwhelmed? Externally and internally. For David, it is to cry out to God. And that's the beginning point for any prayer. That's the beginning point of, of, for any walk with God, any Christian relationship. It's to turn to God. That's the starting point. But then what's the destination? Where does David want to go? The end of verse 2, it says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. What's going on? Like, what's the deal? The rock that is higher than I. Some of you have military background. You're familiar with warfare, right? You want the high ground, right? That's the safe place. David is crying out for safety and security. So he said, hey, um, you don't need military background. Just think of any footage you've seen of a flash flood or a tsunami, right? Think of people on top of cars or people on top of houses. You're wanting to, people up in trees. Up in the higher ground, there is safety. In this ancient Near Eastern context, David is saying, God, I need you to put me in a place up on the cliff. Hide me in those rocks where I will be safe from my enemies. Where harm cannot get me. God, I can't do that myself. I need you to take me up there. And I remember uh, there's this part in that video I referred to earlier where Eugene Peterson, he's talking about when he was 12 years old. He was a young teenager, and he was reading the Psalms for the, the first time. And he said, you know what? Like, that's when I learned about metaphors. And he says, not because I learned the technical term, but because I was reading the Psalms and I was seeing God being compared to, to, a, to a rock or a tent or a mother hen, and I learned about metaphors. And that's what we see here. David uses these metaphors when he asks for safety, when he asks for a refuge, he uses several metaphors. He says, God, I need the protection of a rock. God, I need, I remember in the past, you have been a strong tower for me. Again, we don't use strong tower language. But remember, ancient Near East, he's looking for protection. He doesn't have the ring doorbell or the video doorbell, all right? He can't call 911. If you're in the ancient Near East and you need safety, you go inside the city walls and then you climb up into the strong tower because you can see your enemy coming. And if they get close, you might be safe up in the strong tower. He's saying, God's kept me safe like that. And then he makes this relational turn. He goes from rock and refuge and strong tower and he says, um, God, I want to dwell in your tent forever. And he uses this image of a mother bird, of a hen. He says, hey, would you keep me safe like a hen keeps her brood safe under her wings, under the shelter of your wings? And, and that phrase is used several times in the Psalms. It's used in the Old Testament. It's used in Isaiah. David's saying, not only do I want um, this physical protection and safety, I need relational proximity. I need to be near to you. You know, one of the most cruel things we can do to individuals that we do do to individuals that we're punishing, what do we do? We put them in solitary confinement, right? Oh, they're safe inside those four walls, but they're alone, completely alone. David says, um, I need relational intimacy. And he even brings up the warmth and tenderness of a mother hen that protects her children. 
That's the refuge he longs for. That's the destination he is going to. That's where his journey's end is, is in that refuge. Let me ask, where are you looking for refuge? Right, because it's not if, but where you're going to look for refuge. You notice, David just admits, I need a rock that's higher than I. Like, I can't get there. I can't do this. I wonder how many of us think that we can get to the refuge on our own. Like when all hell breaks loose, maybe we think, you know what, I can just buy my way out of this. Or maybe you're working hard enough and trying to save enough that you can buy your, you think you can buy your way out of it when all hell breaks loose. Maybe you think, well, if I'm just educated enough, I can avoid danger and difficulties and darkness. If I could... I wonder, parents, this is what I struggle with sometimes. How often do I talk to my kids about education and their education and their schoolwork as opposed to how often do I talk to my kids about the refuge that God has been and the refuge that God can be? And please hear me. I'm all for education. And I know a lot of you are educators, all right? I'm in school still. My wife's in school still. Like, we're all for education. But is that where true refuge is found? True protection and rest is found? David realizes it's not found in his self. And I think if we look in our culture today, we, many of us, many of the people out there, and sometimes ourselves, we try to find refuge in ourselves. and when we don't find it there, what do we do? We try to switch the dials and redefine ourselves. Like if, maybe what's wrong is I don't have the right understanding of who I am. And so I'm going to define myself differently. And maybe I'll be able to dial it in and find the refuge and the peace that I long for. It's never going to happen. You need a rock that is higher than you. I need a rock that is higher than me. And that's what David says. God has been that refuge and he needs God to be that refuge. And then, then come these verses where he has some request about a king. Verses 6 and 7. He says, Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May be enthroned forever before God and point steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Like, what's going on here? Okay, I get, I get that he's in a bad way. I get that he needs refuge. And now he's praying for a king. A few things could be going on here. He is a king, right? So maybe he's praying for himself in third person, right? God, help out this king. Maybe he's praying for the kingship. Like just the overall general kingship, because he knows then what we know now, that um, the people's lives and the quality of them depend on the leaders, right? Poor leaders lead to poor lives among the people, and good leaders lead to flourishing. So maybe he's just praying for the kingship. But here's the reality. Um, We know that David's life did not endure for all generations, right? Like David's life came to an end. He was not, David was not enthroned forever and and neither was his son Solomon who took after him. And yet at the same time, we know there's this promise in in 2 Samuel chapter seven that, that God did promise David that someone would be on his throne forever. So what gives, what's going on with that? Um, let, let's fast forward to the New Testament. You ever wonder why Matthew starts his gospel with these genealogies? Like if you're going to start a book, just a, a list of name after name after name, that's not really a compelling way to start a book. Like that's not a bestseller tactic. But he has one singular aim. He wants you to see that this Jesus that he's about to talk to, 
traces his lineage back to David. That this Jesus is the king that Psalm 61 is praying for. That this Jesus is the king that brings the refuge that we are longing for and that we are looking for. That's why Matthew starts out that way. He is the king that brings true refuge. Okay, let's go back to these metaphors. Walk through these metaphors with me a little bit. Jesus as the true rock. Jesus says, you know, if you listen to me and you do what I say, it's kind of like someone who builds their house on a rock. And if you try to do your own thing and put, find your uh, refuge in yourself, that's kind of like someone who builds their house on the sand. Peter and Paul both talk about Jesus as being the chief cornerstone, the rock that everything else is built on. Jesus is the true rock. You find refuge in him alone. Um, Jesus is the strong tower. And you know what? He's not a strong tower because at the center of the city, he builds this uh, structure. He's the strong tower because he goes outside of the city and he's lifted up on a cross. And there he takes on our enemies. Because your true enemy and my true enemy is the brokenness inside us and the separation that causes between us and God. Our true enemies are sin and death, and Jesus defeats them on the strong tower of the cross. That's where our enemies are defeated. You know, there's uh, Shakespeare uh, puts these words in Hamlet. He's talking about the fear that death brings. And remember, Hamlet talks about that death is this country from which no traveler returns. Well, the gospel says no. There is a traveler who has entered into death and returns victoriously. And all those who find a refuge in him, in his strong tower, will experience the same. Jesus, the true rock. Jesus, the true strong tower. That's who Jesus is. Jesus, the tent, right? Um, in the Old Testament, they would have, you know, when David's talking about tent, when his readers are reading Psalm 61, they're thinking tent, tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. And then what does John say when he writes his gospel? He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word tabernacled among us. And even more, Jesus says, I'm going to send my spirit to dwell in you, to indwell in you. Jesus is the true and greater tent. Um, and I don't know if you came here this morning thinking you were going to hear that Jesus is the true and greater mother hen but I don't have to prove that to you. I can just let you listen to Jesus' words, right? Some of you might remember it. It's the last week of his life. He's entering into Jerusalem for the final time. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. <laughs> and you... We're not willing. Jesus walks into Jerusalem for the final time, and he says, I wanted to offer you this kind of intimate, tender care, and yet you tried to find a refuge somewhere else. You maybe thought you could find the refuge in following the law, living the good life. Jesus says he 
It's the shelter of his wings that bring true refuge. Friends, I don't know where we got the idea that the life of faith is a neat and tidy and clean and simple life. All right, we surely didn't get it from David. Think about David's life, all right? Overlooked and neglected by his father and brothers. He faithfully serves a king that decides to then kill him. Try to kill him, all right? Um, He commits adultery and then kills a husband. We've already talked about the fact that his own son rebelled against him and tried to overthrow his reign. I don't know where we got the idea that the Christian life is, 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 is nice and neat and tidy. Um, life in a broken world is often painful. David knew that and we knew that. David was looking forward to a king, a Messiah, a promised one. He was promised that one would come. We can look back and see the promised king, Jesus, and the refuge that he offers. The journey we are on this morning, the starting point is crying out to God. The destination is the rock of Christ and the refuge that it offers, the difference that it makes. David ends the psalm saying, okay, my life is going to be one of praise. I am going to sing praise to you. Um, I just want us to see as we wrap up, um, experiencing this refuge changes you. Like you should live differently. You should talk differently. So let's ask ourselves a few questions. Um, This past week, what did I praise? Like, what did I praise this past week? What did my life, what did my life praise this past week? Um, This next week, how can I praise the God who I found refuge in? Um, I know some of you guys are summer swimmers. You know, we're summer swimmers. We had a swim meet yesterday. It's a Saturday in uh, the summer, so it's a swim meet. Uh, There were two conversations I had with fellow believers that don't go to this church, but they were... These were believers that were praising the refuge they found in God. One sister was talking about the fact that her and her husband had started this new business. And one of the reasons they were starting the business is because they want to offer people who have had hard lives to get into the employment uh, arena, to just have their first chance to be gainfully employed. And so they're scared and they've, really, they've left very stable careers to start this new business. But they said, no, God's been a refuge for us. And we want to use our gifts and start a business so others can find that same refuge in God. And a real practical way to do that is help them to find some employment. We're walking out of the swim meet. All right. There's already some parents uh, that are upset with my wife because she's a stroke and turn judge. Right. And so she's disqualified a number of kids like, oh, that was a great race, but it doesn't count. Because you didn't do it right, right? So she's crushed dreams. Uh, so we're, you know, we, 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 we try to get out of those swim meets kind of quick. You know, like, come on, baby, we got to go. Um, but we're talking to another fellow Christian that just lives in our neighborhood, and we know him and his wife and his family. And we know that this week he's going down to Houston, Texas, to MD Anderson Cancer Institute. And think, you don't usually go there because things are going well. But our friend said, I'm praying that I can be a light there. I'm praying that I can offer hope to the staff that work there and to the other people that are there. And it's hard sometimes. How are you in that place? 
because he's found a refuge in his God. He's going to go speak of that refuge with MD Anderson. That's the difference that, that the difference that it makes when you experience this refuge in Christ. And friends, that's that's my prayer. That that's the kind of church we would be here at Capitol Press Fairfax. I don't want to be a, a, a gathering that, that that are you know those trying to just check the box on their religious hobby. I don't want it to be a gathering of certain political persuasions. I don't want it to be uh, a gathering that just kind of have well manicured lives and look nice. No. I pray we would be a gathering of those who have found refuge and deliverance and are well aware of it. That a rock higher than us has reached down and pulled us up. That's the gathering I long for us to be in. We sing His praises week in and week out and we go out and we live and speak of His deliverance. We teach it to our children. That's my prayer for us. That's my prayer for me and for my family. So let me pray now. Father, we thank You uh, for the true rock, the true strong tower. We thank You for the true ten and the true mother hen, Jesus, who gives us His strength and His tenderness. Who became weak, suffered on a cross, so that we might have life and life eternal. So that we might know that we have a Savior that identifies with our weakness. A Savior that's entered into the darkness that we face week in and week out. He knows it. He promises one day it will be no more. For my friends who maybe haven't started this journey, I pray today would be a day where some cry out for the first time. For some of us who have lost our way and forgotten the destination, I pray that we would see that the hope is not in us, it's in the rock that is higher than us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.